VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Bring us in, babe. Welcome to Coco Caliente. Coco Caliente has an exciting guest today, and we're mm-hmm. so actually these are these are my favorite conversations. I call him like the experts on expert, like Dax has, but I don't want to steal his name. But he's just a professional, Doctor Adolph Brown the Third. Yes, it's one of those where I just sit back and listen and have like tears in my eyes. I'm like, this is just such an amazing conversation, <laughs> and I just let them do their thing. I let Victor. Work his magic and listen to, you know, the intelligence radiating from the guests. And I just kind of, I'm here, but not really here. (laughs) Yeah. So you're definitely going to enjoy. Hello. Hello. Hi. Sorry. That was my fault. Uh, I'm I'm supposed to be the one managing the Zoom uh, actual recorder and I didn't have your audio on. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. My name is Victor and Nicole. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me. So Dr. Adolph Brown III, correct? Yes. You know what? There's not a lot of us out there because I'm Victor Arroyo III, and Nicole <laughs> ro- and Nicole rolls her eyes uh, every time I add that in there, and I'm like, babe, you, you just don't understand. And the difficulty to even get to the third, right? To, exactly. To, to keep that name. And then so I tell her, like, okay, so when we have a boy, his name's going to be Victor, mm-hmm. right? And you can name whatever child after that, but just the first boy is going to be Victor Arroyo the Fourth. <laughs> That's right. I have a, I have a fourth. Oh, you do. Cool. Yes. <laughs> do do you fall into this? Because I always have this thought, like down the line, like your great grandson will be what the sixth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that such like an awesome, like when you start getting to those uh, where you have to start doing like the two, you know, <laughs> IV Roman or numerals. VI, the Roman numerals, like that, that seems like very royal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It keeps it going. You know, it's uh, like you said, the third was uh, significant. You know, it take, took a minute and then the fourth and, you know, we have a grandbaby and um, I'm Adolf, but he's Aiden. So, mm. uh that's our, and that's our first. So that's oh, okay. awesome. Well, anyway, Doctor, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast with us today. I, I was as I was doing our research uh, before talking to you. You have so many different like accolades and, and titles, and you do so many things, and you span so many different topics and uh, categories of things. How do you describe yourself? Ah, uh, I think basically as. Uh, Someone that just wants to impact this world in a positive way. Okay. Okay. And you're a doctor in what, – what did you get your uh, doctorate in? Clinical psychology. 
clinical psychology. So tell us your background. Like how, how did that come to be? You know, where, where were you raised and, and were you, sure. did you always want to be a, a clinical <laughs> psychologist? <laughs> okay. Um, I, just the skinny of it. Um, uh, mom and dad were, uh, happily married, solidly middle-class. Uh, dad woke up one day and married five children later and said, uh, he didn't want that anymore. And when he left, my mother, to afford uh, our home or a different home, we moved to the inner city projects. Oh, wow. And uh, that was very different for all of us. I was young, but I could definitely feel the uh, the emotion, the emotional toll that it had on my older siblings. Uh, my oldest sibling and only brother, Oscar, in the absence of my dad, my grandfather also later. And my oldest brother was murdered when I was 11. Oh, Oh, wow. I'm sorry. So so, um, lots of uh, hardships and uh, things that I encountered. But I was fortunate to have a pretty decent educators who cared, a mother who would just do anything to ensure that we had what we needed and even some of the things that we wanted. And about... A couple hours away, I had a grandfa- grandparents who were farmers. And, and whenever I, I didn't necessarily do how I was told in the inner city, I was sent to stay with my grandfather and grandmother. And I have to say that much of who I am today, um, I attribute to the man that my grandfather was. So um, I'd get in trouble and I'd have to walk the perimeter of the farm with him. And that was really tough. <laughs> Because I'm an introvert. I'm a classic introvert. And for those that don't know that term, it doesn't mean we're shy by any means. It just means we don't get our energy from others. You know, I get my energy from reading, from being alone and things of that nature. Extroverts get it from socializing and other things. Yeah. And then we, so um, my grandfather would literally talk me to death on those uh, on those walks and say things like, you see those cows, they're eating grass. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and we'd walk off a couple steps and he'd say something like, you see, they're content with eating that grass right there. They're not waiting to eat grass somewhere else. And he would say, the rule of this is to be happy where you are. Enjoy the moment. Don't hold your breath to he would say classic things like that all the time. And he only had a third grade farm school education. Oh, wow. And those, you know, those farm schools. Um, and, I, and I think, Nicole, I think you might know a little bit about farming. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> <laughs> I did my homework. <laughs> so, um, you know, farm schools where all the grade levels are in one room. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can tell you, my grandfather to this day is the wisest man I ever know. So, uh um, he would say things like, uh, when it came to money and success, he would say, it's not the amount of money you make, but the amount of money you keep, uh, just all those things would like stick with me. And he only had a third grade farm school education. And he told me that I had to be better than him. He told me that it broke my heart because at that age, I guess I was kind of a teenager. No one was better than my grandfather. Yeah, and and for him to say that, it kind of just concerned me. And uh, but I realized what he was saying. He wanted me to go farther than he did in education. So I did, and graduated high school. Was the first person in my family of five to graduate high school. Oh wow! Uh, went to um, a college called the College of William and Mary, 
which is considered by some the oldest college in our nation, at least the first uh, chartered. And uh, I tell people that the type of kid I was, when my counselor, school counselor told me I could go to the College of William & Mary, I told her that uh, how can one person go to two colleges at the same time? (laughs) So, uh, But I went to college, um, started off majoring in psychology and anthropology. And was also an athlete. I, boxing was a huge part of my upbringing. Um, based on moving to the inner city, there were a lot of bullies and things of that nature. Never started a fight, but people would sometimes try to take things from me. Yeah. And my grandfather, not familiar, yeah, he wasn't familiar with public education. So he told me if people would try to take things from me, I should give it back to them in such a way that they'd never try it again. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, and he never came to the, he was never on time for the school conferences because he drove a tractor. So he was always late. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, um, boxing and martial arts had helped me to such a great extent that, uh, you know, that I, I did some of that, went to college, also had an academic and track scholarship at that time. Wow. I was a wrestler and had, had to make a choice between wrestling and track. Went there and um, thought that one day I would be, even though I had a track and wrestling or could have been track and wrestling, I love baseball and I always wanted to be a professional baseball player. No kidding. But after, yeah, but after taking anthropology, not necessarily psychology, undergraduate psychology is not what people think. It's kind of more theory. But yeah. uh, after taking anthropology, I realized that I really like people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that began my quest to first understand about myself. That's why I majored in psychology. I wanted to know kind of, you know, who, I wanted to know more about me and the way I behaved and the way I thought. And I thought I was different. And when I found out about that stuff, then I said, you know what, I can help other people with it. And that's kind of it in a nutshell. So with COVID right now, I know everybody's at their house. There's a lot of downtime to think about a lot of stuff and BetterHelp is there to help you. So if you're having any thoughts of depression or you have stress, anxiety, relationship issues, trouble sleeping, anger, BetterHelp is there for you. They're counselors that can talk with you in as quick as 24 hours. They have counselors in all 50 states and they'll help assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So this is not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll be connected in a safe and private online environment. Everything you say is confidential. It's very convenient, professional, and affordable. And you can check out the testimonials that are posted daily on their site. Again, this is not a crisis hotline, but this is a professional counselor that has services available for clients worldwide. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash coco. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Coco. Having the journey that you have, especially 
with uh, the things in your upbringing. Like, you know, I've never find myself. I've never found myself, and neither has Nicole, in a point where you know we're we're living in you know uh, government housing or in poverty or anything like that. Do you ever think back now that you're in the position that you are now, and did the studies that you are? Do you ever go back to like, wow, things could have been completely different had I not had that loving mother or that supportive grandfather, and, and you know, just kind of. What could have been? Do you ever do you ever go through those thoughts? All the time, but but a tad bit differently. I, I often look at the richness of poverty. You know, most of the time when you hear people talk about poverty and inner city and or rural poverty for that matter, yeah. You know, they, they we talk about kind of the the maladaptive side of it. Mm-hmm. I talk about the the richness of it to the extent that um, <laughs> I, I probably would say for my wife. Of all the things that would bother her about me would be the fact that I've been poor and I'm not afraid to be poor. That, you know, <laughs> <I have. laughs> so, so, you know, that, that definition of women insecurity uh, <laughs> out the window with me. But no, when I talk about the richness of poverty, I talk about the fact that um, I know how to live with very little. And I, and I still do that today. Uh, we're, we're the parents of eight children from eight, uh, from 30 all the way to 18, 17. Oh, wow. And, um, good for you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. College graduates, quite successful kids. Um, we've been able to afford a decent living, but we've never lived as my grandfather would say, um, without outside of our means. Yeah. Um, could definitely afford homes on different coasts and, you know, and occasionally we'll, we'll splurge, but when we do, we do it. Um, it, it has to make sense. If I'm going to fly a private jet, then it has to make sense that I have to get home for something that it, I can't miss. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's a richness uh, of poverty, things that taught me. We had a hurricane here once and my wife is from New York and I'm from Virginia and we met at the college of William and Mary and uh, I used to say that, you know, I married up and, you know, she would, <laughs> and, I, and I would say that because when I met her, she would tell me about her home and her, her uh, dog. And I kicked immediately when she said she had a dog and a cat. I'm like, oh, she's rich. She's got to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> Extra miles to feed. So. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 uh. We had a storm and uh, East Coast storm, and the lights were out. And I mean, I, I, my neighbors were just like acting as if it was the end of the world. And you know, I'm teaching my kids how to do wall puppets, shadow puppets. Mm-hmm. You know, I pull out the grill and put the charcoal on. I mean, I'm making breakfast on the grill outside. I mean, it's those are things that I learned growing up. Mm-hmm. Those are things that. Uh, there's a rich, there was a richness in my poverty. And what I say when I talk about that is, you know, in the white or the silver lining, um, I call it dancing through the storms of life. That when you, I think the truest testament is being positive in a negative situation. And, and that's kind of who my, that's who my mom was. And that is, and that's so true, uh, because the, and I can't say that I experienced it to the extent that maybe you did, but just for example, even trying to be on my own at a college with like little to no money, just making ends meet. Those are learning experiences as you grow up. So when, you know, now that I do have a better job and I do make some better money, you make smarter decisions opposed to 
when you're your whole life, let's say from the time you're born, you're spoon fed and you everything just comes to you, mm-hmm. you don't want to work as hard for it. And Nicole talks about this a lot, you know, her her dad, you know, working uh over a hundred hours a week and driving three hours to work and back, you know, both ways and you know, basically the the what it is to earn the money and yes. actually you know know what it is not just oh i have it because i have it and i can just buy anything that i want you know what i mean um oh i get it i get it and that's something that my children uh won't necessarily have the benefit i know we we kind of started the conversation talking about it not necessarily being a benefit yeah but but my children won't necessarily have that benefit of knowing the true earning mm-hmm. and one of the things my wife and i did and our trust was, you know, when I travel so much for a living that it was always important for me that if uh, I didn't make it home, that my wife and children would be okay. Yeah. So that in our trust, we have the children don't just get a lump sum, you know, not no trust fund kids, but whatever you earn that year as your salary, that's what you're able to draw from the trust. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's really, yeah, bad. That, hey, that's smart. That's very smart. What an incentive. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so if you, if, so if you don't work, then guess what? <laughs> yeah. You get nothing. That's hey, that's a good way to put it. Oh man. So, yeah, so, so that's kind of how I'm trying to keep, uh, keep the integrity, you know, there. I mean, I'm the guy that, uh, when you look at my wife's side of the closet and you look at my side, I mean, I don't like a bunch of choices when I, and if I buy something, then I'm donating something away in its place. I just, and all of that is from my upbringing. Now that upbringing can be twofold, as you know, and I think that's what you were kind of alluding to. You know, I, I have colleagues that have gone on to the NFL and we came up with, you know, meager means and they have six or seven cars. Yeah. It, and you can only drive one at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a home, you know, beside a mansion and, you know, you have two kids. So, you know, it's, it's you know, it, it, it's there's an extreme. And, and, I, and I tend to kind of my wife would say I'm on the other extreme. I thought I was kind of in the middle, but I, I still don't pour a full glass of a drink because if I want more, I'll get more, but I don't want to waste it if I don't finish it. Yeah. And, and that's a good point too, because I feel like most people, and it doesn't matter actually what level in society that you are, if you come into a lot of money or you start making a good money, I'd say most people will be on the splurging ends of things. And I think, and I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but especially when it comes to the education side, that's something that we lack in teaching kids you know when when they're in school budgeting accounting exactly you're, you're so you're, no no you're so correct I, 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 um my grandfather my mother i remember getting tenure as a young professor and it was a big deal not tenure, but it was an even bigger deal because i was a very young professor and you know it meant i had a job stability for life it meant all kinds of things yeah. like my salary almost doubled and every time I would take those kind of accolades to the elders in my family, they would say, okay, but make sure you save for a rainy day. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was take the wind out of my sails. So, you know, I'd, I'd buy a new car and they're like, bring it and show it to me. And I show it to them and they're like, hey, are you saving for a rainy day? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so what has happened um, when this pandemic first uh, hit, 
and I was getting all these uh, emails from friends and things of that nature, I decided to, and, you know, people were saying that, you know, I was kind of being naive and overly optimistic, but, you know, it is that rainy day that the elders of my family told me about, and I was prepared. We're prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that's something that I think about that now, and this is this is definitely a time of reflection for a lot of people because of what we're talking about right now, right? Everything can be fine and dandy and and the way our economic system's set up to where, you know, you make enough money to pay the money that you already borrowed for the things that you have now, right? Those five yes. cars or that bigger yes. house or that TV. Right. Uh, and now it's like, oh crap, maybe I should have just lived within my means and only buy it if I can buy it twice. Uh, that's one of like... <laughs> oh, I, I love that. That's my philosophy. Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I got it from a less ideal ideological rapper jay-z but uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it, it's so exactly. true right don't buy it right. unless you can buy it twice and then that way you never find yourself in a position like a lot of people find themselves now where they can't make their next payment right and and that's a really sad truth that we're in right now so what, what we have is we have self-reflection without self-correction oh. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know really self-reflection without doing any work on top of that is kind of where we are as a society now. We we have a pause, so to speak. Life has given the entire world a pause. Now, what are people doing with it? I mean, if you look in the mirror and, and you're basically accepting, and, and that's cool, but to reflect and assess, you know, there's room for everyone to do some correction. And I think self-reflection and self-correction are two of the most humbling things that human beings can be involved in, but uh, it, it's two of the most challenging things for human beings to be involved in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and and it's something that's always ever changing, and and it takes something like this to happen. But then, as soon as everything goes back to normal and and the economy is better and everybody has their jobs, they they can fall right back into that same cycle. I mean, it's easy to um, exactly. So something that I do regularly is kick Victor's butt in the game Best Fiends, which is an app. I am actually doing better than her. Anyway, so Best Fiends, if you're looking for a fun way to pass the time while engaging your brain and enjoying breathtaking visuals and a gripping story, your answer is Best Fiends. Fiends. They have a bunch of characters that you can collect little monsters and you can they're watch so them cute. grow. They're so cute. And it's but basically... the thing is, is like they're cuter when they're little and then like <laughs> as they as you get um points and stuff, you can make them older and then they're like not as cute anymore. So I'm like, I don't want them to grow up. But <laughs> I am growing up on the level, so I have no choice. Yeah, Best Fiends is a casual game anyone can enjoy, but it's made for adults. It's challenging, it's puzzle related, mm-hmm. and it's a real brain teaser. And I like that you don't have to like you can play anywhere like you, you can don't play need, offline yes yep. yes you or an airplane mode wi-fi yeah absolutely it's a unique and exciting puzzle experience unlike any other puzzle game out there and the game changes depending on like what season it is if there's a holiday so it's always updated it's always fresh it's always new yeah exactly so it's easy to engage your brain with fun puzzles and collects tons of cute characters trust me with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. So download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Now, I know something, too, that you talk about is mental health during through, like, through this pandemic. For me, um, I've actually gotten a lot better with my anxiety. It's almost completely 
just gone away, which is so, it's crazy to me. I needed, I think I needed everything to kind of pause and needed to reflect and have time to work on myself. And, um, I'm just so grateful that that's what happened instead of it worsening. And are you seeing like mental health worsening throughout the pandemic or getting better? I see it worsening. Mm-hmm. Um, however, people who are actually committed to self-reflection mm-hmm. <laughs> and examining their life and their behaviors, those individuals are getting better. Okay. However, individuals that are still attempting to control everything around them mm-hmm. and, and, and not necessarily stepping back and saying, what can't I control versus what I can't control, I, I see it getting worse. In fact, I, I did an interview not too long ago, and I said, um, if we continue on this path, at least in mental health, that we'll have the United USA will be the United States of anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that's and that's what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with all the things that are happening now, when when whenever there's a, a uh, I guess a, a tragedy in in our world, mm-hmm. there's a, the response is overcorrection. That's what we do, overcorrection, and that's what you're. I mean. I can give you tons of examples. I mean, we, we, we're reacting based on emotion as opposed to separating our emotion from our thinking. So you'll, you'll have this pendulum swing all the way to the left where we're doing all these things that people are like, really? And, and what it is is overcorrection. And um, you know, it's not until we truly evaluate things or pros and the cons and removing the emotion mm-hmm. that we get to some center ground. Do, do you think that these, I, I call it, you can call them like knee jerky reactions, right? Do you, yeah, exactly. Do you think that happens more so now than let's say it used to because of the advent of social media, because everything gets put out there and people want to overcreate over, I guess, I think it's that and politics, right? The, the social media, pushing like politicians to make corrections now without adequate, you know, discussion or research on what is the best way to, you know, pursue something? Well, I, I think it's been there, uh, just like the other ills that we have in society. Yeah. I think with, with social media, it's getting videotaped. Yep. So um, I think I, I can tell you times uh social i guess so one of the major social corrections of our time has been political correctness mm-hmm. and and you know pe- people oh we got to be polite and kind and i get that um however you know when you start censoring comedians and you know you know comedic relief oftentimes and you know talks about things uh with a, a twist uh with a surprise element and so we, we tend to overcorrect just uh, – and, and I think with knee-jerky, I, I think that's the I, – I say that. And I experienced it in England long before uh, we got on the bandwagon here in the U.S. I left – at the time, I left my BlackBerry at the lectern after uh, one of my uh, classes. Mm-hmm. And, and a gentleman came up to me after – the uh, event, and he had my BlackBerry in his hand, and he said, uh, "Dr. Brown, you've left your, you left your, and I'm reaching for it, 
but he's trying to tell me, I can, I can see my blackberry in his hand. And he says, you've left your African-American berry. And, uh, that, that was a time that I saw that there was a really kind of overcollection when it comes to uh, uh, political yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That and that's and that's a perfect example because he didn't want to <laughs> feel like he's offending, yeah. right? <laughs> right, yeah. but it was absurd. Yeah, it, it was absurd. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, we, and that's what we have right now. And if you know everyone just take a breather and take a pause and mm-hmm. and, and and you know the work i get people asking me about books for mental health books for racial justice social justice and you know i write them but at the same time i tell people if you really want to do something look in your mirror it starts with the individuals you know if we talk about systemic racism you know systems aren't built individuals build systems so it starts with the people the mirror is our best source of change or inspiration or both so that, that's the hardest concept for people because it, 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 it takes a certain type of individual to truly look in the mirror and see not just the good but the ugly as well and so does this connect with your breaking down that empathy gap is that is, so, that, is that how that ties in it does yeah, and the empathy gap basically talks about uh, – it goes back to brain research, which is often left out when we talk about bias and diversity. Yep. You know, we just – we jump right into it. We don't tell people that the true issue is we have to protect our mouths from our brains. That's the true mm-hmm. issue. We all have implicit biases. If you have a brain, you have bias. You have implicit bias. And what all that means is – is that the brain teaches us without our permission. The brain gets over like 400 billion messages a second. And, you know, we're not capable of truly discerning each message. But I tell people when it comes to human interactions, give it a second thought. Give it the benefit of the doubt. And don't necessarily believe everything you think because the brain does not help us to be correct. It helps us to be efficient. There's a huge difference. And so, because I I saw they have a Harvard uh, test online that you can take for implicit bias, and it'll tell you kind of where you fall on the spectrum. Do you think tests like that are pretty accurate, or do you think like those human driven tests are kind of like, well, you can kind of steer it one yeah, way or you another? Can pick what, yeah, exactly. Again, I go back. I mean, to the mirror. It, it, I mean, ultimately. The individual taking the test knows who they knows what biases they have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The issue has become when we try to do when we try to do this work publicly in professional development settings, you know, when people are truly being authentic and they say things without necessarily challenging what their brain is giving them, you know, they could leave they came in. So yeah. the true issue here is not believing everything you think, challenging it. The brain puts things in categories. It doesn't mean it's correct. And one of the issues is the brain doesn't like to be wrong. So that implicit bias, the brain is then looking for things to confirm it. And that's called confirmation bias. So we can't, we shouldn't believe everything we think. We have to, if I'm watching the news and the news is giving me X, Y, Z, and, you know, my brain is putting it there. When I meet a person that may fit the characteristics of what the news gave me, um, I have to treat that person as an individual, not necessarily that information that the news gave me. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and, and I, that's that's hard, that's hard work. That's intentional. I and I think that's very true um, because I have an easy time in my day to day. And sometimes to a fault, giving people the benefit of the doubt. But that also comes from life experiences, from being raised around the world, military family, living in New Orleans for 15 years. And, you know, anyway, it just comes from experiences. And and when when you find people that live in just different pockets of society for, I mean, better part of 20, 30, 40 years, however long you live there, you don't have those experiences or those connections with people. And then they fall into that, what I see on TV and what I don't see around me. And if the only interaction I'm getting from other people in different parts of society is from media, then I could see exactly exactly what you're talking about, right? They see that that's a confirmation for them. This is what's happening. These are these types of people and this is what they do. Then yeah, that that's what you're going to believe. You know, I was talking to my uh, 17-year-old recently and some of the music that he listens to. And I told him when I was growing up, there was a genre of music called gangster rap. And I told him that I believe, and, and, you know, I haven't seen the research for it yet, but I do travel (laughs) enough to kind of see some things. And I told him, I said, I think gangster rap really pushed the the empathy gap i mean it, it widened it and what was happening is the negative things that were expressed in this music the music was getting media attention mm-hmm. uh, and then people and then people started individuals that didn't look like them necessarily were the people in these songs yep so you know we, we had a really good discussion about that but that empathy gap is exactly what you said is when i live in my world you live in your world and i haven't attempted to understand you or even listen to you and my, i'm using what my brain has given me about you to to think about you and yeah. as a result of that there's a there's an empathy gap and the only way to bridge that is through listening through understanding and, you know, more than just wearing someone else's shoes, it's actually just trying to attempt to understand what it would be like if you were in that situation. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. When it came to the protest, I would often challenge people to say, what would it take for you to do that? Not this, don't say I, you'd never do that because none of us know what we would do until we're in that situation. Absolutely. But what would it take for you? What would it take for you to do that? What would it take? What, how would you respond if it were your son, if it were your daughter that was a victim mm-hmm. of, of these types of things? And, and and that's the empathy. And that empathy isn't from a Harvard test. That empathy is not from the next great book you read. That empathy is done in the privacy of your home, in your mind, in your heart. When I'm watching the news, what's the narrative that I'm saying in my head? Am I watching news saying, oh, those people are just so, uh, oh, they're just out of control. I just can't believe this. Or do I ask myself, because that's my narrative, if that's what I'm saying to myself. Or do I say, wow, I I wonder how that mother or that child or the, the, the child of that victim is going to grow up without a father. Those are the empathic responses that I encourage. And those don't happen with the test. Those happen with you. Yeah. And, and the, and the other thing, it's like, uh, this is where I have a problem with, let's say somebody, let's say somebody does know that they have this implicit bias, right? Uh, and they want to, and they want to change, right? Or, and they want to take this training. 
it's the environment where the training is happening has to be accepting of a person to be open and honest and then not be scrutinized or judged or thrown on Facebook or social media for trying to change and being open. You know what I mean? I know. I get it. I get it a hundred percent. If you look at the research right now on implicit bias training, diversity training, you'd see a whole lot of things that talk about how it does not work. But what they're missing is the, the neuroscience foundation. And, and I give, I probably talk more about the brain than I do individuals in my first master class with it because we all have a brain. Yeah. And I'm not pointing at one group or another. Mm-hmm. I'm pointing to everyone. We all have implicit biases. Now, what we do with them will determine who, what people think about us. So I tell people all the time, a, a racist statement does not a racist make. Hmm. Because there's something called implicit bias. Yeah. Now think about Think about this. If we basically said all the things that our, our brain gives us, how many of us would be employed? Yeah. How many of us would have any friends? Uh, think about it. how many of us would be married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I usually end every class, whether I'm talking about mental health, um, social injustice, it, or I end every class by having everyone repeat one word. And I say, everyone repeat after me, humankind. And they say humankind. Yeah. Human and kind. And when I talk about being human, I'm not just talking about the fact that we're flesh. I'm talking about being humane to others. When I talk about being kind, it's different from being nice. I tell people nice is being reactive. Basically, nice is is saying I treat people how they treat me. That's reactive. Kindness is proactive. Unconditional positive human regard just because. Mm -hmm. And I ask, and then I say, what would be wrong with pe- treating people better than they treat you? And I finish. And, and that's, and that's kind of where I kind of leave things. I think the brain research, you know, they, they want things black and white, black or white. And this is where the anxiety comes because most people don't know that the majority of our lives is actually lived in the gray. Yep, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if, if you, the, the sooner you can accept that and the sooner you realize that you're not going to get, it's like, it's this or that, the easier life will be right. for you and the less stressed you'll be. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not everything has a definitive answer. So let's, so now how do, how do we go, how do we move forward and not come back to where we are? Right. How do you move forward from this? Like you learn this and you just practice it because if if you do it right, are you are you trying to get other people to do it with you, or you know what's the goal here? The, the goal is to keep this information and to practice. And the good thing about empathy, empathy is a skill. So it's not like we're talking about something that's innate that either you have it or you don't. You know, empathy can be learned and practiced, and that's where it happens. Practice it. Practice it when you're watching television, when you're on social media. Practice it when you're driving. I often tell people, you know, the true test of who you are is what you do when nobody's watching. Yep, absolutely. So when you're, so when you're driving your car and there's traffic, the person that says, no, you can't get in front of me, and you, and you drive faster so the people can't get in front of you as they merge on the highway, 
<laughs> or, or you're the person that says, oh, I know, uh, you get in front of me, I, the, the next person can get in front of the next person. Yeah. So all of, the, all of these things are self-reflective to tell you who you are. So that's kind of what I'd like to get back to on a mental health, on a mental health side, and I'd like for us to practice. Uh, on an educational side of things, uh, we call it critical thinking. Mm-hmm. And and I think the true goal of critical thinking is being able to separate your emotions from your thinking. And, you know, how often do we really do that? Would you say the layman term for critical thinking is common sense? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I, I've stopped. You. I had a book. My, one of my first books, it was called Real Talk, Lessons in Non-Common Sense. Uh-huh. And, and so many people took offense to it. And... You know, after talking to individuals, it wasn't the book. It was really like a projection that they were told growing up that they lacked common sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so what I do, I sometimes just kind of keep it uh, a, a little bit scientific. Just say- <laughs> <laughs> because that's what I mean in, in that literally life, most of it. And like you said, it could just be somebody being like, well, of course, I'm not I'm not dumb. I know, you know, right. if, if you say common sense, it's like, oh, no, no, I know. But no, oh, you know, you just got to think critically about the situation and it becomes, <laughs> oh, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. 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 <laughs> well, that's awesome. And so what's next for you? You, you? you go out and you do talks, right? I mean, you've, you've traveled all around the world from what I've read. Yes. That, that's kind yeah, of I your did. thing. Yeah, we, um, I, I did this research all the way back almost 30 years ago. My dissertation was on uh, African-American males' perception of law enforcement. It was a psychophysiological uh, study whereby it wasn't pencil we write down what sometimes what we think others want to read later. Mm-hmm. This was this the physiology uh, physiological responses were in this study whereby uh, I measured blood pressure, galvanic skin response, uh, sweat, uh, we had a lie detector, we had it all. And we measured it and my philosophy was that the body listens to what the brain says. And the study, um, that was my second study. The first study that I proposed for my dissertation was actually law enforcement uh, um, perception of African-American males. And that was in order to help uh, some of my relatives, some of my friends that were in law enforcement. You know, I knew they were good guys, but law enforcement was getting a bad rap. Yeah. And and people don't like it when I say, you know, there's some professions that shouldn't have bad apples. But the truth of the matter is uh, they're bad apples in a lot of professions. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily everyone. But, you know, I don't want to travel one day and my wife get a phone call and, you know, Delta Airlines might say, uh, your husband didn't make it. You know, the pilot was a bad apple. The rest of our fleet is great, but he just had the one bad apple. So, you know, there's, there's just some professions that shouldn't have them. Education, law enforcement our justice system, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to do this groundbreaking study, but none of the police precincts would allow me (laughs) to use. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, so I reversed it and uh, came up with the empathy gap, came up with something called the racism reaction. Uh, That's getting a lot of legs right now with some of my master classes and virtual seminars these days. And the racism reaction is the fact that, uh, there's a physiological change in people suspect racism. 
and all of the all of those emotions and all those uh, things that I measure continue to spike. So I don't know if you've seen some of these uh, posts here lately where people are getting in fights in grocery stores and yep. other things. Yep. Uh, and what, what's happening, that's the classic, that's my study. That's the classic example of my study. So a person will say, so the spike is already there. Wait, I'm sorry. What, you, what, you cut out for half a second. People will say. Okay. So say someone will say, um, say something derogatory to a black or brown person. Uh-huh. And the person, the person suspects it was the N word. Now the racism reaction is already occurring. Yep. But the. However, the benefit of the doubt and some other things are taking place. So then you hear a person say, say it again. And what they want to be sure that this is what I'm feeling and what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And the racism reaction isn't just, like I said, it's not just words. There's a physiological experience that's happening. Yeah. So then, then you hear that person say it, and then there's uh, a fight that ensues. Uh, yep, yep. And that leaves training uh, or at least seminars and, and master classes for both sides. So, and, and, and that's where I am today. I'm always about uh, bridging gaps and making things better than I found them. Well, that's good. And I'm, I'm happy you're doing that because, you know, me, myself, and I, and I don't talk about it a lot in the podcast, I'm in law enforcement. And mm-hmm. with everything happening right now, I find myself, you know, like you're saying, you know, where you had relatives in law enforcement, it's like, hey, look, I'm not a bad guy. You exactly. know, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I hold every interaction that I have with everybody, the entire, you know, as respectable as I can. And, you know, I, I, I go with the situation and, uh, it's not based on anything else other than human interaction. And so, you know, it is a, it's a tough time to be in law enforcement and I just do the best I can. And so, yeah, I, I, everything and anything that you can do to bridge that gap and, and be a, a, a solution, right. To, yes, to yes. what we have is, is welcomed. Um, and so well, I'm I tell happy. you, it's, uh, my dissertation actually has been posted on the, on the, uh, research site of old dominion university. So if anyone, uh, any of your listeners are interested, it's uh, just putting in Dr. Adolph Brown, the plus sign, uh, African-American male's perception of law enforcement, and that the entire dissertation comes up from Old Dominion University's website. Well, I'm definitely going to look that up. That seems like a, seems like mm-hmm. it's going to be a very, very interesting and insightful read mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for sure. Um, but uh, thank you so much. Where, where can we find you, uh, your website or, or social media? Where can people look you up? Sure. DocSpeaks.com. Doc like speaks. the doctor speaks, DocSpeaks.com. Okay. And what's your uh, Instagram? I know you have an Instagram. What is that? Yeah, Adolph Brown. Adolph Brown. Well, well, thank you so much, Dr. Adolph Brown, the third. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You know what? I appreciate you saying the third, but you know, usually what I have to tell people is that it's Adolph with a PH and not an F. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good clarification. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We appreciate you. I love these are if you can ask Nicole, like we have This is a beautiful, great conversation though. It's Well, we have you know, we have T V people on all the time and you know, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, you know, I'll make this conversation fun, but I love insightful, mm-hmm. philosophical, you know conversations and real things. So with doctors and professionals, it, th- these are my favorite. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I really, really, really enjoyed this one. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. Anytime. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I wish you the best. Likewise. Thank you. Okay. Bye. We hope you enjoyed that conversation. It was so... um, It's very insightful. Oh, yeah. Definitely insightful. And I think it's a very good timing for that conversation. And I think I learned a lot and I loved his approach on things like... Um, and, and every single thing I could have listened to him talk for hours and hours. I, I want to like listen to a recording of his book. <laughs> yeah. We're sorry that, uh, the, uh, the audio, it would it'd be choppy at times, but I hope you got, you know, the gist of the conversation and most of it. And he had, when I was talking to him, he had so many accolades. Mm-hmm. Like if you read his bio, it's ridiculous. It's um, huge. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's why I was asking him, like, what do you call it? Like, what do you consider like yourself? Five or six degrees as well. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, now we'll move into our weird or normal. Okay. This weird or normal is brought to you by us right now. It's, it's done. It's happened. And I'm looking over to the right. Is it weird or normal to take like a bite or a piece of something in your household and put it back? So I, that I way, that. that way, someone may later want that other half, or maybe you'll come back later for the other half. Because I don't want a full cookie, so I uh, I didn't want a full chocolate chip cookie. So to my left, to my right, I mean, mm-hmm. I have a cookie jar, and there is so half like a, of it, a macadamia nut and half of a chocolate missing because I wanted half of each. It's a <laughs> it's a cake tray, so it has a glass top, so you could see inside of it. Yeah. Um. And yeah, so there's like three cookies, and two of them are half eating, half eaten. Well, I remember you told me that your sister or your mom used to eat the middle or the ends of the Oreos. I can't remember. You told the, me this. The She would eat the middle. I can't remember. I can't remember how yeah. it was. But no, I, I don't know. And put the other parts back. <laughs> so. It makes me not want to eat the other half of the... It makes me want to go grab a new one. Yeah, for sure. You can definitely do that. But that's just like mine for later. It's kind of how I Is see it. Is that how you see it? That's how I kind of see it. But if yeah. someone... But I... Me and my mom will do that a lot where... The half and my my brother and my dad. I guess all of us. If there's a half there, it's basically like zero calories. So they'll eat that one and another one too. You know what I mean? So <laughs> the half is just extra. Yes, <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, yeah. I, I normally if I if I'm gonna eat it, I want to eat the whole thing. I'm sorry if you're scratching in the background. Can you get her down? She's about to fall off, that's, and that's very scary to me. Kitty. She's crazy. Um, in. No, for the cookie situation, if we I do this at my house, my parents' house, the half is gone immediately. It's not a thing. Don't go back for it. No matter what it is, it's going to be gone. Here at home, Victor will not touch it, <laughs> and it's fine. I'll go back for it the next day. So is this normal or is this weird? Is it gross? Tell me, do you eat the whole cookie even though you don't want the whole cookie? Do you toss the other half? What do you do? I don't know for for that's probably at, at some point that's probably going to get tossed if you don't eat it because it's going to get stale. I'm going to eat it later though. I, I it's my nighttime treat. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. he's now he's just like the kitty is just like gently playing with his face. Yeah, kitty's getting big, and soon enough here she's going to be gone to a good family. So I don't know. It's kind I'm of I'm heartbroken. I'm very heartbroken. I can't think about it. Okay, Victor, what do you have for Spanish word of the day? Spanish word of the day is galleta. Galleta. I don't know if I've said this one already. Yeah, I think you have. Mm, let's see. How Accula- accolades. Graduation. Intelligence. Oh, you're on the right track, baby. I'm on the wrong track. Yeah, you are. Okay, I'm just speaking out loud, though. <laughs> okay, um, so this is not real guesses. No. It's um, okay. Can you say it again it. for me? 
Kitty, say it for her. Galleta. Galleta. Cake. Close. Cookies. Cookie. 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 Galleta. Dang. Galleta. Should have known. This guy's done talking about cookies. And we know he (laughs) doesn't think of one beforehand, so. (laughs) (laughs) I just try to come up with them as it comes. What's your favorite cookie, babe? My favorite cookie. Yeah, if you had to oatmeal. pick one, one fa- really, yes, that's like an old person cookie. Oatmeal raisin. Re- oh, you know what? If they, <laughs> <laughs> I love old person ice cream too. Apparently, butter pecans. Apparently, old people ice cream. Yeah, she that's also my, likes coleslaw. That's my favorite. I love sauerkraut and stuff. Sauerkraut just smells bad. That just for me, it, it's like I don't know. <laughs> What's your favorite cookie? Oh, I know peanut butter. No, actually, that's not that's not my favorite. It cookie. used to be. It's never been chocolate chip. Chocolate chip, actually. You're so original. You call me basic. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm going for. <laughs> you're so basic. Yeah, I'm so original. No, yeah, you're not original. You're basic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna read a review because you guys are so awesome, and without you, there's no us. And so here's a review by Sisters Forever Five. Five stars, and it's called Three Heart Emojis. (laughs) After listening to your interview with Phil Kogan, I set my DVR to record Tough as Nails. Just had a chance to watch it, and oh my God, I love it. Me too. I just watched it the other episode (laughs) last night. (laughs) (laughs) I love that it is real people, the diversity of the individuals they choose, and no one gets home, no one goes home, allowing them to still earn money winning the team competitions. I think Nicole's dad should apply. Me Based too, on everything you have shared about his many talents and work ethic, I think he would kick a asterisk asterisk. <laughs> love the podcast and love and look forward to listening each week, Amy. Thank you. That's amazing. And I am actually really loving that show. I watched uh last night and I had a, a lot of other things I should be doing, but <laughs> um, I was not doing them. Um, but yeah, I think my dad should totally apply, but thank you so much everyone for listening and tuning in every single week. We love to keep the guests very diversified and learning from reality TV to doctors and, you know, Victor loves his professional talk. So we'll try to get some more of those in the near future. Right, Vic? Yes. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe uh, Easiest Ways on the Apple Podcast. And you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. And you can always go to www.cococalientepodcast.com and you can check out our merchandise. Don't forget to follow us at Coco Caliente Podcast on Instagram and at Coco Caliente Pod on Twitter. Thank you.